We're live now. Yep. Hello, live. Hello to everyone out there in Copland from St Paul's Coptic Orthodox Church here in the sunny metropolis of Bendigo. Tonight we're going to have a look at a parable from the Gospel, or rather perhaps just one or two verses, and take some spiritual meaning out of that for the benefit of our own lives. I should tell those of you who aren't here in Bendigo that we have a crowd. Well, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 maybe. Uh, Coptic youth here from the local university who've been kind enough to come along tonight. So if I keep staring at this square box and not you, my dear people, don't think I'm being ignorant. So tonight I wanted to start simply by, Father Michael asked me if I would talk about parables, that is the picture stories that Jesus told about what God is like and what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I thought tonight we'd start with something deceptively simple. And it's a bit of a teaser, really, to get you thinking about what is going on in this story. And I'm going to relate the, the teaching first and then go to something in the Old Testament to see if we're going to lose that a little more from what the actual meaning is. So the saying is simply this. It's just one verse from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Straightforward. I'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Well, I suppose, first of all, we need to get a few, ter a few terms straight. What is the kingdom of heaven? Anyone like to answer that? What is the kingdom of heaven? What is this term that Jesus uses constantly? Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is here when he's first appears by the Jordan River and is baptized by his cousin John. Repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is here. Would someone like to try to explain for us what they think the kingdom of heaven means? Any ideas? Unbelievable. You've been in church how many years? 20 plus years? Don't they preach this? They preach this just about every week here in Bendigo, what the kingdom of heaven is. It is in fact the rule of God in our hearts. At its deepest meaning, it is the life of God within himself. But when applied to human beings, it's about how God works within us and uses the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to draw us back to the life that he gave us when he first made us. That's what it's all about. And the work of the church is to wake people up to their origin, to where they came from, to whom they belong to, God, and to where they will go, hopefully heaven. So if the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field, firstly, why is it buried in a field? I would think that the answer to that is fairly self-explanatory. Most people, in fact, the vast majority of human beings seem to live lives without much care about the kingdom of heaven at all. Certainly in our Western society, the idea that somehow or other that someone else owns my life and not myself is abhorrent to people. That's why we see the race in our society to kill the unborn through abortion and now by the practice of euthanasia to put an end to what are termed to be useless lives. 
the Lord gives, Job says, and the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. We are born into the world, we believe as Christians, with what has been termed by some original sin, or what others call a basic crack in our foundation. There's something with us as human beings that puts us at enmity with God. And we know this from the beginning of the Torah, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and when they first sinned, that there was a kind of a, a separation occurred. And it seems from there on in that humanity will usually choose the lower way. So I think when Jesus says to us, the kingdom of heaven or the life of God is like treasure hidden and buried in a field, that a man found and reburied it, it means it's not immediately apparent. You've got to go searching for it. You've got to go and find it. It's not enough simply just to attend the church, but at your own personal level, you should be reading the scriptures, meditating and saying the Psalms, and praying to God in your own words to draw closer to him. And then bit by bit, as the scripture says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in the field. So let the field represent the world. Let the field represent creation. Let the field represent ordinariness, the normal, ordinary life that we live as human beings under the sun, of which every man, woman and child, whether they believe or not, participates in. Everybody bleeds blood. Everybody hurts. Everybody is wounded. We saw a terrible example of that just last week when uh, Muslims were killed in the most disgusting way possible in the attack in New Zealand. I was very pleased to note Father Bishoy posted something on the priest group today, the Father uh, Philemon al-Baramusi going to greet the Imam of the mosque and walking arm in arm with him, embracing and kissing him, wishing him salams. Uh, we are all, and the Imam spoke beautifully, he said, we all bleed, we all hurt. Of course we do, we're all God's children. And it's great to see at moments like that, that we can readily acknowledge the brotherhood of man and the eternal fatherhood of God. So the ordinariness of life, in a sense, contains something which you have to work at. So to find your way back to heaven, to find your way back to that communion, which Adam and Eve shared with God in the garden, you need to work at that. And the... the Assistance has been given by the prophet sent to us. And lastly, as Christians, we believe in the person of God made man in Jesus Christ. We have access to that again through the sacred scriptures and through the gospel, particularly in the life of Jesus. Now, the man finds the, the treasure, but he buries it again. Is he taken away with the cares of the world? Does he just think, oh, look, it's too hard? Some people do that, but that's not what this man does. He knows that having found this, this will make a demand on his life that's never been made before. His life has changed. Something happened in finding that treasure. And the treasure can be found in all kinds of ways. It can come through usually through a very difficult traumatic period in your life when no hope seems available. And all of a sudden, God works a wonder in your life and you realise, oh Lord, you are the treasure who is buried in the field of my heart. I need to respond to you. I need to realise truly that I am your child and you're my heavenly father, that Jesus is my saviour. You sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. 
We need to react. God gives himself to us. We need to respond in repentance. He reburies it because he doesn't want to see it. You see, he had to do a couple of things, first of all. He had to notice that there was something in the field or to believe there was something there to go searching for, right? He then had to actually dig. He had to do something. And that's the life in the spirit. You've got to do something. You've got to do something in order to bring the life of God alive in your heart. You have to participate with God in fanning the flame of faith into your heart. It says here, Jesus says, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys the field. In other words, he takes control of his life and the centre of his life will now be the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean he goes off to be a monk. Some might do that. Others may not. It doesn't matter. What it does mean is he can say like the hymn of old, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I never look at life the same again. We can say the Lord's Prayer every day, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we're saying your kingdom come, yes, we're praying for the coming of the Messiah at the end of days to put everything right. But we're also praying for God to reveal himself in our hearts, to open up the field of our heart, to find the joy that's already placed within us. What will our response be when we come across that? Will we, want, will we be filled with joy? He could have simply been spaced out, thought it's just too hard, I can't do anything with this. Religion's a lot easier if I just go on Sundays, keep the fast, do whatever, keep everybody happy, but in the rest of the week I do what I want. How can I now take this new knowledge, this saving knowledge of the gospel, and how can I apply that to my life? In other words, how can I make this treasure the centre of my value system, of my belief system, and that which forms my relationship with God and with each other. You see, it's very hard for us. And I suggest to you it's not a once and all decision. It's not I gave my life to God and now I'm saved. Not at all. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved, God willing. That's the Christian's prayer. Inshallah, if it's according to God's will, it will be accomplished by him without, without participation with him in that. So in his joy, he goes, he sells everything he has and buys the field. So there's a fundamental realignment of priorities happening in this man's life. What difference should it make to be a Christian in the world, to be a believer in God compared to others? Surely the difference should be seen in our outlook on life, in the priorities we have, in the respect we have for human life right? It should be in our desire to do charity for others, to give to the poor, and help those who are in need, to do as Jesus says, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And as I said earlier, that's exactly what we've been doing these past days since the terrible events at the mosques in New Zealand. We recognise in our Muslim brothers and sisters who've been killed, our common humanity. We all belong to God and all return to him. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in the field. We need to put our value system there. Now I'm going to switch to Genesis chapter 28. This just occurred to me Sunday. We've been doing this in Bible study in the parish. 
it's just Genesis 28 verses 10 to 22. I'll just read through it quickly. You should know the story. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went to, towards Haran. In other words, he left Israel or Palestine and he was heading towards modern-day Iraq, Mesopotamia. Haran was the place from which Abraham was called, you'll remember, his grandfather. He reached a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it at his head and lay down in the place. And he dreamed and a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down. What a very strange dream. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. I'll read more in a moment. What on earth has that story got to do with the first reading? It's about a man who was just going about the ordinary business of life. Jacob had been sent away after having stolen the blessing from his brother Esau, had been sent away by Rebekah, his mother, to go to the land of his forefathers back to Iraq and there to marry from among his own people to find a wife. That's the journey he was on. It was a joyful journey. He was going to meet a woman that would become his wife. It turns out to be a little trickier than that. And the reason why he was going there was because Esau, his older brother, had married two Hittite women and uh, he'd caused untold grief to Rebecca as the mother-in-law. So she wasn't going to have any more Hittites. Uh, she was a good Middle Eastern mother. She was going to tell the son who he was going to marry. I hope that doesn't happen to you or the daughters for that matter. So Jacob is just going about his daily life, but something extraordinary happens. He pulls up a stone as a pillow. That seems odd to us. Uh, the Bible commentators say it was really often you would sleep behind a stone as protection if your enemies would pass or someone might attack you on the road. You would hide behind the stones and sleep. Now look at this. The sun had set, so the darkness is coming down. Darkness equals what in scripture? Unknowability. In the dark, we are all vulnerable, aren't we? If for a moment the electric light went out, right here and now, my goodness, what would we do? Unknowable. And of course, people get scared of the dark. When you're a kid, and I feel like I was as a kid, I used, I used to like to go to sleep with a small light on somewhere in my room or nearby. It's that very ancient fear of the dark and the unknown. Right? So he went to sleep and he dreamed. And what he sees is the, the word, it's the only time the word's used in scripture. It says ladder, but it can also mean a ramp. Like a, if you've seen the, you've seen the ziggurats in, in Iraq, a ziggurat is like a proto-pyramid before the pyramids. You know, the pyramids are stepped and very geometric. The ziggurats are like four sides, like big ramps. The Incas have them too in, in uh, South America. It was kind of like that. It was kind of like a ramp set up. And the, the angels looked like they were changing shifts because he's on, he's on the borderline country. And in the old days, the people believed there were certain angels set over certain nations. So the angels are doing the business of God, leaving and sending down the angels for the next part of the journey. It's quite a lovely image. 
but it also shows the communion between heaven and earth, that there is always business going on between God and man, and the angels are the messengers of God. Verse 13 is magnificent. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you your offspring. So here comes the blessing. Now the blessing that God promised to Abraham all that time ago in Ur of the Chaldees, up in Haran, in Paddan Aram, Iraq, Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates, where he came from, he promised him what? He promised him descendants as many as the stars of the sky or as the sands on the seashore. He promised him land. And he promised that he would be a blessing through his offspring to all the nations of the earth. Well, it all came true, didn't it? He had a lot of offspring. He got the land. And just in 1948, the Jews returned to the land again. But God gave it through the patriarch Abraham. And the peoples of the earth, the three great religions which look towards Abraham of Christianity, Judaism and Islam all regard themselves as being blessed by Abraham. There's a vast majority of people on the earth. Abraham is par excellence, the man of faith. So Jacob all of a sudden discovers in the middle of this unknown place called Luz, was the pagan name for the place and he names it something else a minute. But this place called Luz he has this dream. What's his reaction? When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. God is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. Not like, oh, it's awesome. Awesome means filled with terror and awe, filled with power. This is a spiritual place. What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of heaven, the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In other words, it's the place where business is done between God and man. It's a holy place, a thin place. My forebears, the Celtic people, the Irish and the Scots, call the spiritual place of the world, they call them thin places where the texture between heaven and earth is very, very thin. And when you go to those countries, you can feel it in certain places. So early in the morning... Jacob took the stone that was near his head. He set it up as a marker. He put oil on top of it and named the place Bethel. Through, though previously the city was named Luz. And he made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during the journey I am making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. And this is not saying if he will. He knows he will. It's really the translation should probably read since he will because he knows God will fulfill the covenant. This stone that I set up as a marker will be God's house and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. So he vows to give of God a tenth of all that he will earn. Jacob, in the Old Testament, in the first book of the scriptures, is doing exactly, without selling everything, but he's doing exactly what Jesus teaches about in the parable tonight. He has found treasure hidden in a field. And where did he find it? He found it in a place called Luz, which became Bethel, the house of God. But he found it hidden and buried deep within his psyche, within his own soul. The blessing was already there because God had promised to be the God of whom? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob, though he was devious and he was a supplanter, according to the scriptures, nevertheless inherited the promise. God writes straight with crooked lines. You understand that? 
God writes straight with crooked lines. In other words, he takes us as we are, no matter what our weaknesses are or our sinfulness, but he will use us for his glory. And in the process, he will begin to straighten us out. And the spiritual life is nothing else than being refashioned according to him. It's indeed the prophet Jeremiah says, go down to the house of the potter and watch him working at his wheel. How God moulds the pots and the human life is like that pot. The clay is soft and moist and it can be moulded into something beautiful or it can be thrown away as something useless because the pot doesn't want to form itself as the maker intends to shape it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Well, how on earth do you find the treasure? Are you just going to go and pull up the nearest rock you can find and go to sleep? No, you can't do that. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep reading the Bible until your eyes go cross-eyed and nothing happens? No, you can't do that. What in fact you need to do, my dear people, is to be regular and disciplined in your prayer life. And instead of simply telling God all the things you need, he knows them before you even ask. Sit quietly with God and listen. And in the quietness comes the strength and the confidence. The relationship with Christ is built in quietness. Why is it that many times during Jesus' earthly ministry, he withdrew to a quiet place and there communed with his heavenly father, was strengthened and came out and was able to minister again in great power with the spirit of God with him. The kingdom of heaven is as available to you and I as it is to any human being who cares to look. Sadly, for most of us, we will only find its strength and its power when we are tested in some way. It's just our nature. We are cracked and a little bit broken. We need the power of God to push us a little bit in a particular direction. Those of us who've grown up in the Christian church or in any organised religion, in some ways are at a bit of a disadvantage because it's so easy for us to hear all these things, say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that I've heard that in Sunday school or I hear that on Sundays, yes, that's in the services, that's in the hymns. But I'll tell you this, other than the Mass, which is the highest offering we can offer in our Christian worship, the best times, and in fact, even before the Mass, because the Mass is the summation, it's the high point, the communion, their spiritual life, the most important times are the quiet times that you spend on your own, alone with God. They are the most important times. Why? Because you do that out of the love of your heart. Not, oh, I've got to do another hour of prayer or something but because I want to do that for God. I want to do that for God. Such faith. We need to be disciplined. We need to keep hours of prayer as best we can. And without the, uh, concentrating too much on the quantity, we need to very much focus on the quality and on developing a relationship and learning how to listen to God. So I tell you, go out and look. And not just go out and look, but look deep within your own heart. And you will discover a treasure hidden in the field. And that treasure is the life of God himself who calls you to repentance, who calls you to give up a life of unbelief and sinfulness, who calls you to listen to the words of Jesus in the gospel, to pray the Psalms, above all pray the Psalms of David. Pray the Psalms of David. They are the best uh, guide to the human soul that's ever been written. 150 Psalms that cover every aspect of human emotion 
of belief, of unbelief, of joy, of anger, of sadness, of joy, of death, of life. It's everything. It's everything. The Psalter should always be close to you. You should have your, your Bible and your book of Psalms in the Bible to pray them regularly so that you'll be able to say, like the psalmist says, if we go to Psalm 19, just one of my favourites. Now it reads a bit funny in these translations because the translation is not exactly correct. Oh, this is a good translation. This is the CSP, the Christian Standard Bible. Psalm 19, verse 7. The old translation says the law of the Lord. This is the instruction of the Lord. Because the law of God is actually instruction. It's not law. Well, it is, because if you don't follow it, you'll suffer the consequences. That's the maker's instructions. But it's instruction. It's to guide you in the right way. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The old translation was converting the soul. This is better. <coughs> Convert, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, makes the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. They make the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Wow. Have you ever heard religion described like that? David writes this psalm because that's what he experiences. When he follows the law of God, when he keeps his heart pure, when he says no to his lower instinct, when he spends extra time in prayer, when he gives a little bit more to someone in need, when he closes the mouth instead of saying the angry word, when he forgives from his heart, he finds a purity and a calmness because that's the way God made us to be. And if we follow that way of life, we are drawing near to God and we are beginning to unpack the treasure hidden in the field. So I say to you, my dear people, this parable of one verse has so much to teach us. The treasure hidden in the field. And if you want to understand what it is to enjoy, throw everything else away, or in other words, make everything else secondary to your love for God, then just do it. Seek God. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, the psalmist says. Be still and know that I am God. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. All these scripture verses give us the key. You know, heaven lasts for a long time. In fact, it lasts forever. And we'll enjoy God willing. We shall enjoy the presence of the Lord. We shall behold God face to face as a man sees a friend now. How awful to come to the gates of death and there to meet Jesus and not to be recognised or not to recognise him. We need to develop that personal relationship with Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Well, I pray this short teaching on the kingdom of heaven and on the treasure hidden in the field is of value to you, particularly during this season of the great fast, when we should be separating ourselves from all worldly pursuits and following a deeper spiritual path. Now, the one thing I want to leave you with is this. Don't lose heart if you're not very good at doing it. We're all practicing. We're all practicing. And that's what matters. It's not success that matters, but it is faithfulness and trust that every time I fall down, I will stand up again and I will not listen to Satan who will tell me, you'll just do it again, give up now. We will no longer have the words of unbelief in our ears. We will say, get behind me, Satan. 
be gone. I am God's child. I will listen to him. I will follow the right way. So may God add his blessing to our strivings in this great fast. Oh, glory be to him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you. Hello. Goodbye. What's the time? Is it going too long? Eight o'clock till what? Eight thirty. <laughs>